Our scripture reading today is taken from Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 through 12. And our message today is entitled Advent. Prepare your hearts. This is the Lord's word. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his holy word. Good morning, everyone. Uh, one more time. Good morning. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. And as we sort of end this Thanksgiving weekend and this break together, uh, we understand that officially you're allowed to put up your Christmas tree. Officially, you're allowed to listen to Christmas songs that it's time for us to prepare our hearts to remember the season that is about to come before us. Now, we all know that every day is Christmas, right? We all know that every day we need to give thanks to the Lord, that every day is, is holy, made holy by God himself because God has redeemed all of the days and that Christ's love and Christ's salvation is offered all of the days, and Christ's power is given all of the days. But there's something wonderful about remembering that time in history, to recall our family history of what God did to allow his son to be born as a babe, to allow us to experience once again, sort of like looking through our family album or looking through those family videos and be touched once again by what God has done. So these next four weeks, we're going to be looking at four different points of view, four different characters in Scripture, four different people in Scripture, and how they partook in this wonderful miracle. And today we're going to start by looking at John the Baptist. 
the man that Scripture called to prepare the way for the Lord. John the Baptist himself was not the Christ. John the Baptist himself was not the one to bring salvation. But he had an important role. His role was to link the Old Testament with the New Testament. His role was to link the promises to Abraham, to to Moses, to David, to the new promises of the new covenant in Jesus Christ himself. His goal was to let all of of, of, of the Jewish nation to understand who this Jesus was. And by extension, all of us here as Gentiles, to know that that truth of who God is and what he was doing in Israel extends to all of the nations. And that we too can understand and we too can rejoice in what God has done and in what God is doing. So what was John the Baptist's role? Why did he have to come? What was he doing? His role was to allow us to understand who Jesus is and the exact nature of his mission. John the Baptist's role was to clarify to the people waiting for the Messiah what the purpose of that Messiah was and how we can understand and identify that Messiah once he came. Many of us are people who wait. We're waiting for something. We're waiting for something. And oftentimes, We don't know what we're waiting for. We sort of go through the motions and and try to figure out what are the usual suspects of of what we desire. Well, maybe I'm just waiting for that right job. It's just that right job and everything will be fine. Or maybe it's just I I need to find that spouse. Or maybe it's, I don't know, I just... I need to have X amount in my, in my, uh, uh, my bank account. But I'm waiting for something. The French author who wrote the book, Waiting for Godot. Wonderful book it's on absurdism. Absolutely absurd. You have just these two men who are sitting there and they're waiting. And they ask each other, what are you waiting for? I'm just waiting. What about you? Well, I'm waiting as, as well. And this whole play goes forth on and on. In the end, there's no resolution. They're just waiting. What are you waiting for? Well, I know we're just waiting. And I think a lot of us are like that. That we're waiting for something to happen. We're waiting for something to to enter into our lives that will will change us, that will boom, and, and we're done. 
And we have little moments that that happens, but they fade away very quickly, do they not? I think the funniest thing that I've seen in, in this ministry was when the movie 300 came out. It's 300, right? Not 500, 300, right? The, the, the story of the, uh, the Greeks who stood their ground against the Persian army. And I remember after that movie came out, all of our guys were training to get that six-pack. They wanted that body, that, that really ripped body. And for a good two months, they worked out, and then it just fizzled. And they're waiting again. They're waiting. And you see, the Israelites were like that. They were waiting to see where's our Messiah. And they were waiting to see what this Messiah would bring, what kind of salvation. And for many people waiting, they were waiting for someone to deliver them from the Romans. They were waiting for someone to give them dignity. They were waiting for someone to to bring them out of their poverty and their sickness. And so here comes John the Baptist. And his message was was what? Was his message, listen, wait, our king is coming. He will deliver you from the Romans. No, it was not. Was his message, come here and wait. He will be the ones who brings the rains from the heavens and bring you a harvest that you'll never go hungry. No. Was his message, listen. Messiah is coming. He will conquer the world and bring the wealth and the riches of the world that we may be wealthy. No. For God knows what you are waiting for. And God wants you to see that what you are waiting for, he has provided. And so what does John the Baptist come and preach? He says, listen. Come to me, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. What John came to prepare his people for was to receive salvation that's in keeping with his people repenting. To prepare our hearts to receive what Jesus is giving us, what John came to preach was What you need is not more wealth. What you need is not more relationships. What you need is to know that you have sinned against God, that you must repent. And then in knowing your repentance, know the forgiveness that the Lord is bringing to you. And that's why John came. And the question for us as as God's people, even today, even for those of us who know the Lord, for some of us here who are still trying to figure that out, do you see that your greatest need, the greatest preparation that we can do by the help of God himself is to know that we have sinned against the Lord? And that we need 
is grace and forgiveness. Now, there are steps before this in order to come to this realization. There are steps before this in order to come to this point where we can see our sin and repent. The first is this. And these are, the, these are the things that Israelites already knew and understood. One, do you believe that there's a God? Do you believe that the God that's spoken of in Scripture is the God who created all things? Do you believe that how Scripture explains God as being holy, the complete other, the one deserving of all worship and praise because he made us. But this God is unlike you and me. That he made this world and made you. Number two. Do you believe this God is not a God who is aloof? Not simply the, the first mover of all things to to put the world in motion, stands, stands far off, just letting the world go. But that this God is intimately involved in every aspect of creation. And that his goal more than anything else is for you to know him and glorify him. The Israelites understood that as they were waiting. They already had in their background the God of Israel is, is our God. They already knew in their background that the God of Israel has called us his children. They already were waiting for God to appear. They were just waiting for that Messiah, that person who can make that link. So for many of us, the first question is, isn't, are you repenting? First question really goes back to you. Do you believe there's a God? Yeah. And the second question, do you believe that, that God is intimately chasing after you and loves you and desires you? Yeah. And the question that John the Baptist is answering is a question that we are asking that we don't even know. God, help us to return to you. We're waiting. And God sends John the Baptist and says to you and says to me, all you need to do is repent. And you'll be ready when the Messiah comes. All you need to do is verify, acknowledge your sinfulness. And God is waiting for you. And this is how important it was for John the Baptist 
Here in, in, in the Gospel of Matthew, it records this, this, this conversation with the Sadducees and the Pharisees that's, that's very hostile. And there's a couple of things I want to sort of relate to you about, about this passage that, that I think helps us to understand how, how great our God truly is. First is God does not want hypocrisy from anyone. Even religiously, especially religious leaders, especially those who call themselves Christians. I think many of us have witnessed other people and even ourselves that we often say, can't go to church, there's too much hypocrisy. Can't worship here, there's just too much hypocrisy. Too much talk, not enough doing. And although there's enough for mercy around us, the overarching posture that a Christian has is not one of perfection in all these things, but one of acknowledging that we are weak in all of these things. And that the only thing that can help us is what John is saying to all of us. It's repentance, humility, and all things. This applies more to us than, 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 what, than the people who are simply coming to God. This applies to us who are, who are the church. Actually, God wants us to be those people who acknowledges that the only thing that is required for people to enjoy our fellowship, the only thing that is required for people, for us to give them our love as brothers and sisters, the only thing that is required of them is for them to simply acknowledge Jesus as their Savior. And then once someone does that, we love them as brothers and sisters in Christ. And together we love the world that is in need of that Savior as well. And that's what John is chiding the, is the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees of, of preventing people to come to know him. So our duty, our joy, is to always allow anyone to come to faith based simply on coming to know Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less. The second observation of this passage is to see how much John the Baptist truly, truly extols the justice and the holiness of God. Our world does not like to hear that. And the younger you are, the more you don't like to hear that. The older you get, the more you understand that. You cannot raise a child and say to the child, you can do anything you want. You can't do that. You cannot have a society and say, you can do anything you want. Society doesn't run like that. I went to a liberal <laughs> arts college, okay? And we as students, we thought we can do anything we want. But when you start looking at administration and what they need to do to keep the college running, you realize 
No, there's, there's order, there's rules, things need to get done. We sometimes want a God who simply lets us do what we want. We're a God who just wants love without justice, which is not, scripturally speaking, it's not love at all. I would argue, philosophically speaking, that's not love at all either. But John says to the Sadducees and the Pharisees, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. There is a judgment day, and God is ready to winnow, to separate the wheat from the chaff. And what God is speaking here is that God is the God of justice and judgment because his holiness, his excellencies is what drives us to repentance and what drives us to love him. The only God that's worthy to be worshipped is a God that's holy, that's just, that's righteous, that judges wrong and extols righteousness. This is the type of God God's calling you and I too as well. Brothers and sisters, I know that Christmas has already come a couple of millennia ago. But every day is a day to be prepared for the Lord. Look at Scripture. Look how Scripture describes the world, describes your heart. Don't you think there's a God out there? If there is no God, then anyone can do what they want. Don't you believe there's a God who's holy and just? And that this holy and just God is the one who makes this world work immaculately. And don't you believe that this God is not simply a God of, who is aloof, but a God who's intimately involved in our affairs? You really think that God has put that desire to be loved you really think that when you're depressed and you feel like the world is nothing, that, that that's a punishment that God does not want to heal? Or is that not simply God crying out to you and say, what you want, what you desire, ultimately is me? Don't you see? The only way to come to know the Lord, as John the Baptist is saying, it's not by being smarter. It's not by knowing more. It's not by doing more things. It's not even saying I'm sorry to one another, being a good human being. It's not coming in repentance to God. And when you do, You know the story. Jesus will come. Jesus will forgive. Jesus will heal. 
Jesus will love. Let us prepare our hearts. And let us know that Jesus is waiting. And he will come. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we owe ourselves to you. Lord, it's Advent season, a season of coming. We know you've, you've arrived and you have changed us already. But we need to be reminded of the grandeur of all of that. And so remind us. May you change our hearts in such a way that we can throw off all the petty things of this world that we would have a mind like you, the mind of Christ, that our spiritual maturity would be such that we would be people who would love unconditionally and the people who would impact this world for your kingdom in ways that we could never do on our own. And Lord, we pray, Lord, for just our brothers and sisters who, who are on vacation right now, who are visiting relatives or having children. Lord, what a great opportunity to be with family members. May we never, never be afraid to share the good news. But always give us wisdom to be winsome and loving in the declaration of that good news. But we pray for this holiday season where all of us will have a myriad of opportunities to be with family and extended family. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to share the good news. And in so doing, to win more people to you. Lord, our duty is simply to love. Your duty is to change. Help us never to confuse those two. So teach us to simply to love. And teach us to pray profusely that you would work and change. We thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.